Yeah, g'day, it's Jason Archer here from Abacus Bio. Um, I'm here with uh, Max Tweedy from Beef and Lamb New Zealand Genetics, and uh, we're doing a bit of carpool karaoke, and here's James Corbin. Let's <laughs> walk it up. So, uh, just uh, having a bit of a chat about the the issues around yearling yearling heifer mating and what that means for uh, for lifetime fertility of cows and what it might mean for our breeding programs. So, so Max, why why do you reckon getting in calf early as a heifer is is important? Uh, what? We, we, um, we acknowledge that it's pretty important um, how, how her first mating goes as to how she goes on as a cow. So uh, there's a bit of research that says if she performs well as a heifer and gets in calf early, that uh, in successive matings she gets in calf early again and she has a more, um, she's a better reproductive lifetime. Um, she also is more likely to wean a heavier calf because she's getting calf early. Yep. And then uh, that calf's going to be older. Yep. And can come weaning. Yep. Nice tight joining, nice tight calving. Start moving them onto feed, all those sort of things. So there's, there's lots of management reasons for it, eh? Yeah, and that's cool because when she comes around to calving next year, she's in fact got longer. Yep. Because she's, a, she's able to calve early in the season. So the longer she has that thing known as postpartum initial interval, um, makes her more likely to get back in calf early again. Yeah. So has it really been some bit of uh, research being done by Dairy New Zealand lately in, um, in, in dairy cows and they took um, high fertility dairy cows and low fertility dairy cows and they put them into a research herd and, and they've looked for what was different about those cows based on their fertility as cows and actually the thing that's really standing out that's different is the high fertility cows go through puberty earlier as heifers, um, get in calf earlier as heifers. So, so there's a bit of evidence from uh, from dairy cows. Um, they're not beef cows, of course, but not lots of the same issues around reproduction. It's all about energy balance, etc. So, yeah, that's that's interesting. Yeah, there was and there's some other research there that uh, um, I think was from Australia, from the beef CRC. Yeah. That reinforced it as well. Yeah, yeah. So the beef CRC. Uh, in their maternal efficiency project had a bunch of heifers and they had some of them were genetically high fat and some were genetically lower fat and they've mated those heifers and then they've taken them on carried them on as cows now what they found was uh, that the, the higher fat heifers actually went through puberty a bit earlier and, and got in calf earlier the interesting thing is once that heifer's in calf and then she's gone through the cycle and calved, um, whether she's high fat or low fat didn't seem to make any difference for the subsequent calving. So so later on in life, um, as long as they got into calf, those the cows that were lower fat cows performed just as well, but there was a higher dropout of them um, at that first mating. So yeah, but, was, but, but I guess by default, if that first mating sets them up for lifetime reproductive performance, they are more likely to uh, do better as a cow anyway. Yep, absolutely. Yeah, yeah. So it's the ones that did manage it that, that went on and performed all right. So just again, just shows uh, that that getting getting in calf um, as a yearling and and getting calf nice and early, preferably, is is really positive, both from a management or a phenotypic 
phenotype point of view in terms of her calf, but also uh, they're probably generally the ones that you want as well. Yeah, it's interesting. You know, people say, oh, I'd, I'd rather not make, make my heifers. It's going to knock a year off and at the other end. Um, you know, that's, that's an interesting one, I guess, Jason, because if anything, you get an extra calf earlier at a time when you'd have to be feeding them, you know, chipping away where you've got a calf off them. Yeah, absolutely. I think there's, there's lots of good reasons to to make yearling heifers. Um, but, uh, and, and part of it is putting that fertility pressure on your herd. Yeah. So, yeah, so what, in terms of management then, what do you reckon are the keys in terms of uh, getting these heifers in, in calf? Well, I, th- I, I think the obvious, the giveaway, is just to drive the weight. Yep. And, and to get those heifers as heavy as we can when they when they hit the ball. Yeah, so what do you reckon, where do you reckon they should be, weight-wise? Well, see, these these all these arguments, people used to give a, a, a standard uh, weight uh, for, a, for a mating weight for an Angus heifer, and that was 280 kilos years back. Um, I think that's changed. I think the old standard rule of thumb that said um, heifers must be 70% of their mature weight as yearlings for mating if they want to go forward and be successful. Do you think that, that rule still applies? Oh, I think we've changed the genetics in our cattle a lot in the last 20, 25 years. Uh, so, you know, I think other people around the world are questioning that rule now. So, um, and I know from the beef protein test work we're doing that we're finding heifers, um, we're putting most heifers to the bull, anything that's sort of commercially acceptable is going to the bull. And, and you know, heifers are getting in calf at sort of, at, at lower weights. Uh, but you know, really good numbers of heifers are getting in calf. Anything sort of from you know three twenty kilos upwards uh, as they go to the bull. So, do you reckon most people can achieve that in their farming systems? Look, I think it's all about balance. So it's about what your priority stock units are, um, and, and you know what within your system what you're trying to feed and prioritise. But um, in terms of driving reproduction and getting extra calves now and later. I would have thought getting a heifer for 320 kilos should be really the benchmark, and that's what people should be striving for, and, 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 and having a good buddy, a good nudge in it. But um, yeah, I mean, there was uh, yeah, it's certainly interesting. Yeah. So, so what else? How, how many of them would you make? Well, I'm actually inclined to, to put as many of them to the bull, apart from your scungy ones, as possible. Yep. Yep. And, and I, I think you want to try and restrict. Uh, and I think the research suggests that as well. I was trying to restrict the mating period, so I only allowed them 42 days and put them all to the bull. Yeah, yep, I agree. What about uh, putting the heifers to the bull a little bit earlier than your cow herd? Do you? What do you think about that? Well, there's some interesting data there um, from the US that says that you know heifers have a longer postpartum anestrus interval than cows do. So. Um, the time that they take to cycle again after having their first calf is more like 70 odd days rather than a cow at 50 odd days. Yep. So that's effectively a whole other cycle, isn't it? Yeah. Yeah. So I guess that's some of the idea that if you make your heifers earlier and you're humming them through the end of the winter and the spring, um, maybe you're more likely when they come around that second mating, they're more likely to get the calf there. Yeah, yeah. So I reckon there's actually two schools of thought out there. I'm more on that school of thought, but uh, personally, that's, that's an opinion. Uh, some people say, well, you make your heifers earlier and they don't get in calf any early the second time. 
I think it comes down to to whether you whether you feed them. And so some people will say, well, if you make them three weeks earlier, then you can't feed them uh, because the grass isn't growing yet. I'd probably argue if that was a critical three weeks um, to put some feed into them, uh, you know, great investment of feed. I, I, yeah. I haven't done the numbers, but I, I would think personally that, um, that that would be a really strategic time to, to just poke a little bit of extra feed into your heifers that those three weeks sort of after after she starts calving yeah. um, as a mob just to try and get them up and, and get them back in calf as early as you can the second time around, which we all know is the hardest time to get them get them a calf. They're, they're growing, they're lactating, uh, and they're trying to get a calf. Yeah, and, it, and I mean, that's, that's a lot of pressure to put on a young animal, isn't it? It is, it yeah. is. And I mean, even have, um, the natural presence of milk in a cow milking will suppress her, uh, you know, her fertility anyway, so there's, um, there's, lots, there's lots going on there. So, I mean, there's another one there that we probably haven't spoken about, Jason, is that uh, uh, body condition score with heifers at mating. Should we have a target there? Yeah, we we should, but actually when, when I look at our beef protein test data, which is on, you know, really commercial farms and big farms, and, and, and they don't do them, you know, any, any easier than anyone else, uh, most of those heifers are actually in pretty good body condition score. You know, they're all sort of seven and upwards, seven point five and upwards. So, yeah, I think if we get the weight there, then then you know they'll be in reasonable nick. Yeah, because it's it's really interesting. You know, looking across all the cow matings over the years, that we, you know we're obviously into our fifth mating in the beef project test, but very responsive in cow condition to conception rate, and, and those cows have been AIing, but. Of course, there's a much bigger range in those cows, isn't there? Sure, yeah. It's, I mean, it's really interesting. Sort of a below condition score six, the fertility of the cows drops off markedly. Uh, from six to seven, seven and a half, that you're still getting a response. Uh, after that, putting more fat on the animal, putting more condition on the animal, you're not helping her at all. Um, from a from a fertility point of view, she may she may be milking better, but then maybe she's that condition because because she's not milking as well. Yeah. So and it's becoming pretty bloody expensive to feed her. Yeah, to put on all that extra fat. Yeah, certainly, you know, seven seven and better is is, um, is quite adequate for for fertility outcomes. Yeah, and, and that's an interesting one, you know, because we're we're hearing about farmers really pushing the the fats, and we're talking about there being an optimum, you know, a real a, a point where it's really valuable enough that it becomes expensive, and not having enough is also bloody expensive for in calf rate. Yep. Um, you know, there's obviously there's some genetic messages uh, you know, around this. So there's the how, you know, how to manage them, but there's also the how in terms of size to pick. Um, you know, you spoke about rib fat being important for hair for conception. Um, you know, how important is that as an EBV? There's no doubt it's important as an EBV, but we've got to remember that it was originally designed as a carcass EBV tool rather than a, than a cow EBV tool. The the issue about going for positive fats, uh, I, my personal belief is what that's doing is if we if we're having trouble getting our cows to to a condition score of, of six or seven in our in our farming system, then that's probably when we want to have put a bit more fat into the animals uh, just to make it a, them a little a little bit easier to get into that condition. 
but fat and fertility are actually two slightly different things. They're not the same thing. So I think fatness is about how easily can we get our cows into good condition uh, to, to, in order to get those fertility outcomes. There's a subtle difference there, I know, uh, and it's genetic and phenotypic, are, are different issues, but, um, so I guess the other message is from a fertility point of view, we should still be looking at days to carving EBVs. Uh, they are they are the tool that's designed to, to, to look at fertility. And if we, just before we move on from the fat thing, I mean, days to carving does encompass a relationship between heifer, rib fat, and then calf, or, or the days to carving EBV. So, I mean, I guess that is already accounted for, in it? So do we really want excessive fats? Is that a benefit on a genetic basis? I don't think we want to be excessive. I think uh, we've got to keep our end goal in mind. Uh, but to be honest, I don't think we've got definitive answers around that for our system at the moment. Um, we're collecting a lot of data at the moment, and and we'll be able to look at these things um, in a couple of years. But and see the consequences and, on the cow going through. And see the consequences on the cow going through. So so that'll be really interesting when it, once we have that data. But it'll take a bit of time to breed these animals and then get them into the herd and, and get get a few calves out of them before we can really say say a lot about that. So when we talk about you know genetics and pushing up this, getting your heifers and calf. Um, we talked about rib fat just then as an EBV when you pick your bulls, yep. and we want a fair, we want some of that. Uh, obviously there's an optimum, but you mentioned another one, days to calving. Um, what's that talking about? Yeah, so so days to calving uh, is essentially the number of days between the bull going out and, and, and the, the cow calving, so there's a bit of gestation length variation embedded in that as well, but but in essence, really it's talking about how many cows are getting uh, in calf in the first cycle versus the second cycle versus the third cycle if the bull's still out in the third cycle. So it's it's a measure of that. It's a it's sort of a, a trait that's not the easiest to, to understand and get your head around. Uh, but, but in essence, that's what it's doing. And, and, and you want to get a more negative number. So a, like a minus five is better than a minus four, for example. So, because she's getting a calf quicker, there's, there's fewer days between the bull going out and the average cow calving. So, so it's 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 a great way to analyse the data. It's maybe not the best way to present it to um, explain it. To explain it, it's a difficult thing to understand. But you can sort of think of it as as like calving rate, and you know, rough rule of thumb. And it is a pretty rough rule of thumb, but. Um, a unit of days to calving might give you one percent, one and a half percent of, of, of calving rate, depending on where your current calving rate is, and a few different factors like that. How long the bull's out for, etc. But, but you know, think of it as calving rate. I mean, like if if we can get heifers calving and subsequently cows having less days between their calvings, calving earlier in the season, I guess that benchmark you know we've, we've spoken about before is about if we can get seventy percent in the first in the first cycle. The natural mating, we're really nailing it. Yep. Um, you know that, that that's doing well. Um, if we can do that, we can get in calf early in the season. She's going to be have a more productive lifetime. Now, I mean, um, there's another genetic component um, when you go and picking size, and that's uh, the scrotal size EBV. How important is the scrotal size EBV? So, to me, a scrotal size EBV is a bull breeder's tool, not. A commercial farmer buying the buying a bull tool. So the reason why I say that is, scrotal size EBV is related to um, to female 
fertility and, and earlier puberty and, and heifers, there's no doubt about that. But that relationship is actually really built into the days to calving. So for females, focus on the days to calving EBV. So the scrotal size EBV uh, is important because we've actually got to have bulls with enough serving capacity. So so it's important for that, but that's that should be the, the issue of the breeder of the bulls. Um, from a bull purchaser point of view, um, phenotypically the bull's got to have enough enough scrotal circumference and phenotype. Uh, but I wouldn't what you see in the bull and what you yeah. see in the bull, so that he's got enough serving capacity. But as long as he's got that, uh, I would be focusing on the days to calving EBV rather than the scrotal size EBV. And that's an interesting one. I mean, you know, and we've looked at the at the days to calving EBV within the beef progeny test, and it seems to be lining lining up surprisingly well. Yeah, it is actually. Uh, I don't know if I'm, I'd say surprisingly well, Max, but uh, it is lining up well, and and it's just reinforcing um, the value of that EBV, even though it is, um, you know, it's a lowly heritable trait. Fertility's um, you can't make a lot of genetic progress in it, but you can go genetically backwards in it. <laughs> so uh, yes, it's it's showing a, a good relationship with with what's happening in, in our progeny test animals as, as yearling heifers getting a calf uh, and also um, getting back in calf as, as a two-year-old. So, yep, it's an endorsement for the days to calving, really. Yeah, and I mean, it's it's not a trait that's been, you know, really well recorded. And, of course, you know, like you say, it's not highly heritable. So, no, it's, it's, it's really positive to see that it is lining up fairly well. Um, so... You know, you've, there's some stuff you can do in your feeding or your management. Yep. And there's some other things you can do in your in your size selection when you go and consider picking your bulls if you want to tune up your heifer mating. Um, you, you know, uh, in terms of of our Trans Tasman project, our, our partnership with the Australians, what what's the things that we're doing? What uh, measurements are we, are we collecting in order to try and further that that discussion and answer some of those harder questions? Yeah. Look. Um Having some other indicators fertility would be gold. Uh, something, you know, potentially things that are a bit more heritable um, and more measurable. And and one of the difficulties that we face in some of our evaluations and breeds that are using a lot of AI is we can't measure days to calving on an animal that's been synchronised in AI um, because, because of that synchrony effect. So if we could find some other indicators that are related to to days to calving and to, and to puberty then then that'd be great so so we're having a look at a couple of things one is um, a measurement called antral follicle count which is just using an ultrasound probe um, to look at the ovaries on a young heifer uh, and and count how many follicles there are and these follicles are the things that go on and and uh, develop an, an, an egg and then and then shed an egg so that's the, the beginning of fertility so so we're doing those counts um, to, to try and see whether that relates to fertility outcomes. Early days yet though, uh, jury's still out. It's, it's a good idea, uh, but we need we need to see whether whether it actually stacks up. And, so. and there's been good examples of, of, it, of it lining up fairly well to reproductive outcomes, the conception date and rate and, and dairy kettle, and so it'll be interesting to see how it lines up in beef. Yep, and, and also whether it's a genetic thing or a phenotypic thing, so, yeah. so is it a good breeding tool? So the other one we're having a look at is uh, is when the when the heifer actually goes through puberty, how early she goes through puberty, we're doing that by scanning them, and it's most of this has been done in Australia. We're doing a little bit in New Zealand, uh, and we're scanning the the heifer's 
multiple times uh, as, as they as they grow, uh, and and detecting the presence of what's called a CA, which is basically uh, just shows that she's been through puberty. So having a look at that as well, it's a pretty intensive measure. There might be other ways of doing it. So another way of, of looking at whether an animal cycling is to use collars or, or air tags that have movement sensors in them. What you find is when you, in fact we did this back in further ago than what I'd like to mention Max, but, but when I used to work in New South Wales in a place called Trangy, we had a, a bunch of heifers in a confined feeding situation, we are doing feed efficiency research and we were trying to, to look at whether activity made a difference to them. So we, we actually sewed up some little pouches and glued them onto the side of the, of the heifers and put a pedometer in there and counted it and measured, put them in once a day and, and measured their counts. And when the heifer cycles, those counts spike from normally being about 3,000 a day, they went to 30,000 a day the day she cycled. It was like it just stands out. So if we could put collars or tags on and, and remotely measure the day, the exact day that she's gone through puberty or sort of started cycling, uh, that might be a benefit too. But you know, some of this research is showing is, is, is showing some really puzzling things too. Like we're finding that when we do the scans, uh, and also when we look at the collars, that actually, before the bull goes out, sometimes only half the heifers have cycled, or even less than half. And yet, they're still coming back with good pregnancy rates after a six-week joining. So, and, and often early in the mating period. Often early in the mating period. So that's a bit of a puzzle, I guess. When you start measuring things, you you find some things out that you you just assume some stuff and and it's not always your assumptions aren't, aren't always right so so that's a bit of a puzzle to us uh, it's interesting though. i mean you know in terms of other things we're measuring uh, on those young females coming into uh, you know into these research programs in new zealand and australia for this transtasal project look we've been scanning the heifers like you say but also been body condition score weighing hip height uh, taking hip height measurements on those heifers before they go to the bull. So we're getting a fair bit of stuff on what they look like, how they're going reproductively, and then I guess also some longevity or ongoing maternal stuff. Yep, yep. So to me that's really where the proof is in the pudding is how long does a cow stay in the herd and and the reason why most cows leave the herd is because they fail to get back in calf. So uh, longevity, that you know, cost of rearing a replacement across the, the herd a lot of that's about fertility and, and it's something that we need to keep focusing on. That's really exciting. Um, now, Jason, there's obviously more questions to be asked in this um, you know, as we're going forward. We're now collecting heaps of data and, and we'll be able to answer some of those questions further. But are, are there other questions that maybe we need to be asking? Oh, look, there's always other questions. Um, you know, that whole relationship around uh, cows, fatness, fertility, management, you know, is the sort of cow that uh, that does the job in a situation where we're controlling her feeding, um, controlling her weight, not letting her get into a poor condition score. Is, is that the same genetics as what we need to, to do the New Zealand style system where, you know, we put a bit of weight on them after weaning and, and and then we, we strip it off over winter and uh, so so there's some interesting stuff in there and, and you know we're, we're doing a bit of, bit of work with that as well uh, and you know hopefully this time next year or the year after we're going to have some really really interesting stuff around 
around some of those questions as well. So, yeah, there's, there's plenty happening. Cool, exciting. Hey, and just, uh, just in summary, um, you know, I th- it sounds like there's plenty of reasons you'd be wanting to make your heifers. Yep. It sets up your lifetime reproductive performance, you wean heavier calves, she gets more likely to get back in calf early, all the various reasons. Um, you know, then we saw some, we talked about some reasons why you might want to do it uh, on that end, but we talked about how you might do it in management, feed your heifers, uh, get them as heavy as you can, um, but also make plenty of them in a, in a uh, you know, a restricted joining period, 42 days, yep. preferable. And then we thought it talked about the size, um, really consider the uh, days to calving EBV first and foremost, but have a look at scrotal size and, and rib fat as threshold traits as well. And then I, I guess uh, as we go on in these projects, we ask, ask more questions and get them answered. It'll be an interesting uh, thing going forward. It will be. It will be. So uh, just before we sign off, Max, what song do you want to do your karaoke to? Uh, Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Man, I Feel Like a Woman. Away you go. Shania. <laughs> <laughs>